Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Dr. Bratt received both his BA and MA at the University of Windsor and PhD at the University of Alberta. His primary teaching area is international relations, which spe- uh, specialties in subfields of international organizations and Canadian foreign policy. His primary research interest is in the area of Canadian nuclear policy. Today, however, Dr. Bratt will explain the significance of the realignment election and what it means for the future of Canadian politics. He will also offer some thoughts on the policies that the new Harper-led majority government will pursue, as well as some of its challenges. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Bratt. Well, I'd like to uh, thank uh, SACPAW for inviting me down. I was here uh, a year ago, and uh, obviously uh, people liked what they heard or thought it was interesting, and they, they invited me back. And I was driving down, and you always want to begin a talk like this with a, an amusing story or, or a joke or something. I, I was racking my brain driving through Calgary to try to figure out how I could begin this. And just outside of the city limits... Um, but before it, uh, before you get really into highway time uh, timelines, I got a speeding ticket. So this is uh, this is my story. But it gets better. Uh, the the officer pulls me over, and I'm a, I'm like 20 seconds away from the 110 zone, and he pulls me over. He's a British guy. He was one of the British recruits to the city of Calgary police, and it was as pleasant an experience as getting a speeding ticket can be. And as he's handing me the ticket, he goes. And I would like to thank you for providing education on Canadian politics since I've been here in Canada. I see you on TV all the time. And I'm thinking, well, obviously he doesn't like what I'm saying. I'm still getting a ticket. So that's my uh, story. So I, I took one uh, for the team. Yeah. yeah. So I was a bit late in arriving, nevertheless. Uh, a, because of that 10-minute delay, and, and B, I was probably driving a bit slower to leftwards than I normally do afterwards. <laughs> anyway, uh, what I really want to focus on is what I call a realignment election. Uh, in political science terms, not every election is significant. You know, you have, in, in the bigger scheme, the larger scheme, you've got, you know, winners and losers and minority government and majority government. But this, in my view, was a realignment election. So what's a realignment election? A realignment election is when there's a fundamental shift in party structures or party support or number of parties, etc. And just to give a couple of examples, 1921, Mackenzie King forms a government, a liberal government. But the important thing there is that the Conservative Party loses any support whatsoever in Francophone Quebec, largely because of the conscription crisis of 1917. And they didn't just lose it for the 21 election, they lost it for about 40 years. So that was a significant alignment, and it, that's really the, the vision of the, the Liberals as the natural governing party of Canada merges in the aftermath of that election. A second realignment election is 1957. Uh, that was Baker's first victory. 
and the significance there was, A, the conservatives winning power uh, for the first time in, in over 20 years. But secondly, what Diefenbaker had done prior to that is he had done uh, a number of mergers with smaller parties. So we often think of the merger of the Canadian Alliance and the Progressive Conservative Party as being new. Well, what Diefenbaker did is he merged the Conservative Party with the Progressives and turned them into the Progressive Conservative Party. And so he took the Progressives and he took a couple other small Western parties, melded them all together, and uh, formed a victory in 57. Uh, a third realignment election was 1993. Uh, where the Progressive Conservative Party essentially died that night. Uh, they struggled on for another decade, but they went from 168 seats to two. And you saw the Mulroney coalition of Western conservatives and Quebec soft nationalists disappear with the rise of Reform Party and the Bloc Québécois. That's a realignment election. So why do I call the 2011 election a realignment election? First is the disappearance of the Bloc Québécois. Uh, the Bloc had been around for 20 years, had won every election in Quebec, was taking anywhere from 40 to 50 seats, election after election, and their support just disappeared. Um, does that mean that nationalism is dead in Quebec? No. Does that mean that there won't be nationalist parties? There will be, but it will be simply uh, similar to the old Creditiste party of the 60s. That would win three seats or five seats. I think that's what we're looking at. We're not looking at a party taking 40 to 50 seats. And uh, as far as uh, national unity is concerned, I think this is a good thing, the disappearance of the Bloc Québécois. Uh, it, was, it was fascinating to watch the Bloc as their support was starting to dip. And they had to think about how to engage younger people in Quebec who were tired of these debates about uh, unity and sovereignty. And so Duceppe's idea was to bring Jacques Perizot out of retirement. Uh, not a good strategy, you know. And he's telling war stories about 76 and 80 and 95 to a bunch of people that weren't born at that time. And, uh, and, and it showed. So really the disappearance of the bloc. And what's also interesting, and this will come in to... Uh, where, the, where I think the Harper government's going to be going, is party subsidies are going to be pulled. They're going to be pulled uh, within about a year. And the irony is the reason that there was public anger about party subsidies was it was going to the Bloc Québécois, which is no longer an issue, but they're still going to be pulled, uh, which is going to greatly damage the Liberal Party, which I'm going to mention in a moment. The second significant thing is a huge blow to the Liberal Party and possibly a permanent blow to the Liberal Party. This was not a one-election item, what happened to the Liberals, which was their worst election result ever. It's not that they only won 30 seats. You know, they'd won 40-something seats under John Turner in 84. It's the fact that they finished third and their voting percentage dropped below 20%. But this is a long-term trend. This was not a one-off. So let me go back. The Liberal Party, which used to be the natural governing party of Canada, used to have roots across the country, but it, there was a certain a group of coalition partners who largely voted Liberal. Francophone Quebec used to be the Liberal stronghold ever since 1917. They lost those with the patriation of the Constitution in 1982, and they have not gone back to the Liberal Party. That was one coalition. The second was Catholics. 
If you, you go back in history, a political scientist would ask, you know, to try to determine which way you would vote. The first question we'd go is, what religion are you? Because Catholics everywhere in the country tended to vote liberal. That has also disappeared. A third aspect of what they lost were what I call the blue liberals, the conservative liberals. The liberal party used to be a centrist party that would campaign to the left, govern from the right. It had a left wing. It had a right wing. People like John Turner, Donald McDonald, John Manley, these were all blue liberals, conservative liberals. They have all left the party. Uh, either because they've, they've retired or they've been forced out. And so the Liberal Party, which used to be centrist and which would swing back and forth between right-wing and left-wing policies, has now become a left-wing party. And if you wonder why the NDP surpassed them, voters would look and say, well, if I want a left-wing party, I'm going to vote for a real left-wing party. So they've lost that. So going into the 2011 election, the only fortresses of strong liberal support that still existed was Anglophone and Allophone Montreal, which they held. You know, so Westmount and Mount Royal and Papineau, those remain liberals. Uh, in fact, this, the, the person that had the largest victory margin of any liberal candidate was Stéphane Dion. I didn't even know he was running for re-election. Maybe he'll become leader. But the other stronghold that they had was Toronto. It was called Fortress Toronto. And in fact, people often refer to the Liberal Party for the last couple of years as the Toronto Party. But they were squeezed out of Toronto. They were squeezed out by the NDP, and they were squeezed out by the Conservatives. And so you saw ridings. York Centre, where Ken Dryden was, I think was liberal before Canada was even a country, and is now an NDP riding. Uh, lot, uh, so that's another coalition that they've lost. And finally, they, they've lost a lot of uh, immigrant communities, new Canadian groups. Uh, previously, new Canadians would vote liberal. And uh, the work that Jason Kenney did, whether you like him, whether you dislike him, whether you like what he did or dislike what he did, the fact is he's a major architect of this victory. The work he did with the Indo-Canadian community, with the Chinese-Canadian community, he probably swung about ten ridings. And it was not just being immigration minister, it was all the work he did in, in what they said, uh, 15,000 cups of tea he's had over six years, working with uh, ethnic media, newspapers and radio stations, uh, there's a good colleague of mine at Mount Royal who does political communications. And he said, when you talk about the media that they're interested in, in places like Brampton and Surrey, it's not the Globe and Mail, it's not the Toronto Star or the, or the Vancouver Sun or the CBC. They don't know who Peter Mansbridge is or Lloyd Robertson is, but it's the local Sikh radio station. You know, it's, it's the local Chinese language newspaper. And the Conservatives infiltrated those very well. They also convinced people that were largely social conservative, largely fiscal conservative, to say, if you're socially and fiscally conservative, why are you voting liberal? And the response used to be, well, we like to go with the winner. Well, we've now won two elections. Why don't you come with us? Having won this, if, if the experience of the Italian community and the Tamil community and the Greek community is any guide, when that swing occurs, it's a swing for a generation we may be seeing the replacement of the Liberals as the natural governing party with the Conservatives as the natural governing party. And I can talk about some of the implications there uh, because uh, of some of those movements that I've described about new Canadians gravitating to the Conservative Party, of uh, the, fort the Liberal coalition breaking apart, uh, 
But there was also a very interesting study. When you looked at conservative support across the country, okay, and you, you, you mapped it out, riding by riding, and you put blue, and then you put red and orange out there, and then you mapped it out and color-coded it by um, economic, per capita GDP, riding by riding, and the most prosperous parts of Canada voted conservative. Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, uh, southwestern Toronto, uh, Ontario, around the Kitchener, Waterloo, Mississauga, Brampton areas. Uh, the most prosperous area of Quebec went conservative. The most prosperous parts of Atlantic Canada went conservative. In other words, the well-off areas, not necessarily well-off Canadians, but well-off areas all went conservative. Uh, and I think that's, that's an important indication. So the two major aspects of realignment are the disappearance of the block and the, the fundamental damaging, long-term damaging, of the, of the Liberal Party. Now, the Liberal Party does have some assets. You know, this isn't the Tories of, of 1993. They have over 30 seats. They still have pockets of support. They have strong constituency associations in, in many parts of the country. Uh, but they are lacking money, and when the party subsidy disappears, they're going to be even more hamstrung by money. Uh, the, the, uh, the liberal brand has been greatly damaged, and some liberal members, like Bob Ray, who want a very quick leadership race, don't realize that there's a long-term problem in, in the party. They're looking for the white knight. They think, well, if we just have another leader, a better leader, you know, then, then that will do the job. So we'll have to see how reflective the, the liberals can be. I want to talk a bit about the NDP and the great orange surge. This was a tremendous victory for, for Jack Layton. Unlike uh, the CBC, I don't believe Jack Layton won the election. Um, I think he won a lot of seats. I think it was great for the NDP. But at the end of the day, we have a majority conservative government. The question is, how long-standing is this? 57, over 50% of their candidates in their current caucus are from the province of Quebec. Some of those candidates are quite good. They're, they're labor leaders, uh, they're, they're academics, they're activists. And then there's a handful, you may have heard of some of these people, you know, who decided, well, instead of having a summer job cutting grass at the golf course, I'll be an MP. Or, you know, I realize the riding is francophone, but I live in Ottawa. So, you know, uh, this is not unusual. I was speaking to a reporter. I said, look, at all parties run these placeholder candidates. You know, we had two NDP candidates in uh, Calgary that lived in Edmonton. I, I made a comment. I said they'd have been better off being from Saskatoon. Uh, they'd have had more support. Uh, the Conservatives used to run these placeholders in parts of Quebec. Um, you know, it's tough finding a Liberal to run in parts of Alberta. The difference is these people won. And so the question is, is this a one-off? And I think what is indicative, or what, what could be an indicator, is the ADQ. Uh, the ADQ is this small conservative party in the province of Quebec, and in a provincial election about five years ago, they almost took power. Uh, they had a popular leader, energetic leader, Mario Dumont, and they brought in all of these people, and the Liberals were cut down to a minority, and they had maybe a three-seat difference between them and the ADQ. And commentators at the time going, well, it's, it's pretty good that the ADQ didn't win because they couldn't govern the province, they couldn't govern a village. They've disappeared. They've largely disappeared. They're down to like one seat. So there was this large surge, large protest vote, brought in the ADQ, 
And I think that's what this was in the case of the NDP, a large protest vote uh, that I think will diminish in the next election. The good news about the NDP Quebec support, though, is support for the Federalist Party. And so we now have seen Quebec voters move away from a sovereigntist party to a federalist party. They still haven't moved to the government. Since 1993, the percentage of francophones in government has, has dropped. We have very few francophones in government. They've always been in opposition, first with the bloc, and, and it continues with, with the NDP. But if the NDP can hold on, and if the Liberals continue to have their problems, then what we could be seeing is the development of a European party system. In Europe, you have a right-wing party, like the Conservatives or the Christian Democrats. You have a left-wing party, like Labour or the Social Democrats, and you have these small centrist rump parties, like the Free Democrats of Germany or the Lib Dems in, in uh, Britain. And Canada has always been an anomaly. You know, the United States has a right-wing party and a left-wing party and not much in the center. And so we could be emerging into that model, uh, which the NDP has been dreaming of for years. The Liberals have been fighting off. But I think if we move to that European Parliament, it will be more about the collapse of the Liberals than the growth of the NDP. And the fourth comment I want to make about the realignment election is the Greens. Uh, the Greens elected their first parliamentarian. They had a parliamentarian before, a guy by the name of Blair Wilson, who was kicked out of the uh, Liberal Party for corruption, joined the Greens. The Greens accepted him to have a voice in Parliament and to get a voice in the 2008 um, debate. Uh, Wilson was defeated in 2008. Uh, they were kept out of the debate, but they've now won. Elizabeth May won her seat, knocking off the Cabinet Minister, uh, Gary Lunn. Why is this interesting? It's interesting for a couple of things, because now they have a beachhead, right? And once you establish a beachhead, it's possible to grow from that. Uh, we'll have to see what the debate structure of the next election in 2015 is going to look like. But there's also a real irony here. The Greens, as most small parties are, have been opposed to our electoral system, and they would like some sort of PR system. And what's interesting is PR systems usually have thresholds of 5%. You need to have at least 5% of the popular vote to gain these, these seats under a PR system. Well, the green vote total, the green percentage of the vote total, dropped by about 3%. It dropped from about 6.8 to about 4.5%. But they won their seat. In other words, the Greens are in Parliament in spite of the electoral system or because of the current electoral system. And so it will be interesting because what they did is they took that, that subsidy money and they focus it largely on one riding. Elizabeth May didn't run a national campaign. She did a few excursions outside of, uh, out of Saanich, but she focused on her riding. They put resources in. They targeted a weak minister before the election. And all of the things that you think about with our current electoral system, and it worked. So it will be interesting to see what the approach of the Greens will be on electoral reform after this. So that's why I think this was a, this was a realignment, not just a one-off election. Um, again, colleagues of mine are talking not of a four-year conservative reign, but an eight-year conservative reign, because the liberals are in so much disarray. The NDP uh, support is, is peripheral. Uh, the conservatives are now going to have all more than the tools of government than they had as a minority. This could be a longer period of time, which if for the conservative supporters in the room are probably very happy. Those that aren't are probably shaking their head and hoping I'm, I'm wrong. 
So I did want to spend a bit of time on the Conservative Party. Now that they've got this majority, where are they going to go? And just as a, an anecdote, I'm doing CBC Radio the day after the election. And we're doing the call-in form for the full hour on Alberta at noon. And uh, call after call is coming in and blasting the Conservatives and calling them Hitler and a Nazi and evil and he's going to destroy Canada. And I'm thinking 60% of Albertans uh, voted uh, Conservative. I'm not hearing a single one. I realized I was on CBC Radio. Um, so I thought maybe that was it. But there's this perception that there's this hidden agenda that's just going to come out and we're going to have capital punishment reopened and we're going to have abortion reopened and same-sex marriage is going to be banned and uh, health care is going to be privatized and the CBC is going to be privatized. And I just don't see it, and, and I'll explain why. Again, if we look at the Conservative Party of Canada, it, view it as a new party with elements of the old PCs and elements of old Reform Alliance. It is not as conservative... Uh, as the Reform Alliance under Manning and Day was. It's clearly not as conservative. But it's also not as progressive as the Mulroney-Clark PCs were. It's something in between. You look at who those diehard Reform Alliance people were. Stockwell Day, retired. Chuck Strahl, retired. Preston Manning, retired. Myron Thompson, retired. Monty Solberg, retired. Uh, you know, the whole list of these people. Uh, Harper... Uh, was able to unify these policies by moderating those tendencies. Harper, what drives him, has been fiscal policy, federalism policy. He was never part of that social conservative uh, wing. Then I think about some of the new candidates that they uh, recruited. A guy like Chris Alexander, former uh, ambassador to Afghanistan, star candidate, wins Ajax Pickering, could be the next foreign affairs minister, describes himself as a Joe Clark conservative. Now, can you imagine someone in the Reform Party circa 1998 describing themselves as a Joe Clark conservative? No. So it is a different party than a lot of these conceptions have. Then think about Harper himself, and look at what he's accomplished. Again, this isn't so much a pro-Harper, anti-Harper, but he took this Western Rump Party in 2002, merges the two parties, takes down Paul Martin to a minority government. Now, you've got to go back to 2003. There was discussion in 2003 about this Martin steamroller. Martin was going to win seats in the West. He was making outreaches to Western Canada. Very popular minister, brings him down to a minority government. Then he takes power. Then he takes power again. Then he takes a majority government. After all of those experiences, if you think he's... And his plan is to really make the Conservatives the natural governing party of Canada. Conservatism by inches, bit by bit, change by change. He would destroy that by introducing abortion or capital punishment or privatizing the CBC or getting rid of public health care. None of that stuff is, is going to happen. Is he going to be controlling? Absolutely. Of course he's going to be controlling because, A, that's part of his character, but, B, that's how he succeeded. He succeeded and was able to merge the parties. He was able to win power by being very disciplined, by being on message, to have one message. Now, to have one message, it's always best to only allow one person to speak. And so is this a problem? Yes. But it worked. It was successful. And when we think about this, 
the Liberal Party campaigned on all of these problems in Parliament, the proroguing of Parliament, uh, the, the holding and contempt of Parliament, all the gamesmanship. And the media echoed this. And Harper just ignored that. He said, the focus is on the economy. We're going to ignore that stuff. And so did the electorate. It was in the public domain. The liberals made it the campaign issue. The public ignored it. So uh, I think that sends a message to, to, to Harper. And I don't expect his, his behavior to change. And I don't expect his governing policies to change. So then it comes into, what are we going to see? And one of the callers was adamant about this, this hidden agenda. And, and all the things he was going to do. And I said, well, what is he going to do that, that's hidden? He goes, well, he's going to buy all these jets, and he's going to build all these prisons. And I said, no, that's what he campaigned on. You know, so that is going to happen. You are going to see the F-35s. You, you are going to see more prisons built, which is really bad public policy, but it doesn't matter. They campaigned on it, and they won, so you introduce it. There will be some, uh, you know, red meat thrown at the social uh, conservative side of the party, uh, but it could be things like reducing some of the funding of the CBC, uh, just as the Cretchen government did, just as the Mulroney government did. Party subsidies shouldn't be an issue. It's a minuscule amount of money, but it's now on the public radar. He's got public support. He's won. Those are going to disappear, and that's going to give the conservatives a huge financial edge the, the rest of the way. Where there is one word of caution, and that concerns me, is national unity again, because the conservative support dropped in Quebec. Their vote total dropped. Their percentage of the vote dropped. They only have six uh, MPs in there. Um, Christian uh, Parody, who's the natural resources minister, is probably going to get moved out of there and moved into a higher-profile job. Mad Max Bernier, welcome back to Cabinet, Max. Uh, he had the largest support of any conservative in Quebec. He's the one who challenged his own party over the Colisee, the, the hockey rink deal in Quebec City, and forced the government to back down. Um, he truly is a fiscal conservative. Um, and you're, there's only six people. And he does have cabinet experience. So just hope that he uh, doesn't leave his affairs with bikers or anything like that, that he's learned from that and, and can move forward. Uh, but where this is going to be a problem is in the next provincial election in Quebec where the PQ is likely to win, not on issues of sovereignty, but on issues of government, and the Liberals have been in power for a while. And he's got a, and Harper's got a small beachhead. So we'll have to see how that, that development emerges. That, that could be problematic. And I do want to make one final comment on, on the Quebec issue before I move forward. I, I, last year when I spoke on the program Parliament, one of the major themes was about minority governments. And I talked at that time about permanent minority rule. And I said, as far as the eye can see, there will be minority rule. So I guess that meant, you know, a year. <laughs> and what I said was, is we're not going to see majority rule without the block collapsing. So I could stand here and say, see, I was right. The block collapses. We have a majority government. Except the two weren't connected. Right? The growth of the Conservative Party was not in Quebec. They lost seats. So even if the bloc had won 40 seats, we're still going to see a Conservative majority government because of their campaign strategy of focusing on those suburban Toronto ridings, suburban Vancouver ridings, a few in Atlantic Canada, paid off. And I've probably given you lots of ammunition, lots of uh, items for discussion, so let's open it up broader now. Thank you.